right, well, third week of Advent, Joy Week. And joy is probably, of all the themes of Advent, uh, maybe the one that is kind of the most, I don't know, obvious. Uh, we see that word plastered everywhere. Uh, we, you know, one of the most popular Christmas carols that we sang last week is Joy to the World. And so a very obvious theme. And then at the same time, kind of like peace, like I said this last week with peace, it's kind of ironic because at Christmas time, uh, there's a lot of people uh, that don't seem very joyous on Black Friday when they're fighting over those Christmas deals uh, in, 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 in Walmart or Target or wherever they're at. Or, or people are, are stressed and, and they're having extra arguments uh, in their family or with extended family members. Um, sometimes joy kind of gets robbed, it seems like, with some of the extra stress of Christmas. But the truth of the gospel and what we celebrate at Christmas is that in Jesus, we're offered a joy that goes beyond anything that the added pressures of even a holiday season um, can can rob. And we're offered an, an unending and eternal joy that's rooted in Christ himself. So true joy, Christian joy, we're going to talk about this morning, is steadfast. You know, some people have a, what we'd call like a superficial joy, and it's rooted in superficial things, temporary things, fleeting things. So as things go, their joy goes. I think about it kind of like when we go to SeaWorld, I like the wave pool out there at SeaWorld, right? And so all the bobbing up and down when the waves get going and all that, and you can see the life jacket that somebody left behind, and it's going up and down, and everybody's moving around in the water as the waves get started. But the ladder on the side that's attached to the side of the wall doesn't move. Right? It's just there. It's just stabilized. The, what's going on in the water doesn't really affect that, affect that ladder because it's attached to something. If I'm out there, I'm, I'm, I'm affected because I'm floating in the water. And think about that visual in the sense of, as a Christian, your joy is attached or should be attached to someone who is immovable and is not he is not affected by the circumstances of our lives. And so while there might be lots of turmoil in our lives, and, th- and we certainly feel the effects of it, and we're not saying that we're not affected by those things, but we can have a joy that's attached to someone who is stable and steadfast. So our joy can be stable and can be steadfast and can be rooted in something deeper than the circumstances that we face. See, joy is a fruit. It's, 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 it's a product. It's, so it's got to be rooted in something and connected to something. It, joy always has a cause. It always has a reason. It's always attached to something. It's always an expression of being rooted in something or a love for something or a finding your joy in something. You don't just have joy. You have joy in something, typically. And so if you want a joy that's unshakable and can't be taken away, then it's got to be rooted in something or someone that is unshakable and can't be taken away. Because if it's rooted in something that's shakable and that can be taken away, then I can promise you at some point in this life, it will be taken away. So the only way to have unshakable, unremovable joy is if it's in that unshakable, unremovable person or thing. And the only joy that's eternal is a joy that's rooted in God through Christ. And so when our joy is rooted in Jesus, when he is the source of our joy, that means our joy is that unshakable joy. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 11, that these things I've spoken to you, he told the disciples, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You heard that read just a few moments ago. My joy may be in you and your joy may be, in, may be full. So as Christians, we don't just get any joy. We get Jesus' joy, right? And so that means because it's Jesus' joy, our joy can be full because it comes from Hilton. So set that up 
as we move into Romans 5, 1 through 11, there's a lot, all the themes of Advent just kind of just swim around in those first 11 verses. We talked about peace last week. We're going to see hope is in there this morning. Uh, joy is in there. Next week, we'll come back and focus on love. And so this morning, we're going to talk about joy. And as we read it, see if you see it. And sometimes you'll find joy in this passage in some very unusual places. So look with me. It's on the screen for you. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we left off last week with that verse 1. We have peace with God through Christ. And we talked about how the peace of God is, is like a house, you may remember. Uh, and Jesus is the only door in. It's through Christ. And faith is like the key that unlocks the door. And so when we come to Christ by faith. We enter into peace with God. And we get all the benefits that come with having peace with God. We get the run of the house, so to speak. And part of the benefits of that is we get this joy that's rooted in Christ. It's a, our our, our Peace with God is a byproduct of being justified by faith. And when we have peace with God, one of the byproducts of that is the joy that comes through Christ. When we're God's children, rather than God's enemy, that should and does begin to change everything about our relationship with God and about our lives. Look at verse 2 there. He says, through him, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Access there, he's talking about being brought into the presence of someone. That was a word that they used in the Greek language that was used to talk about being brought into the presence of another. Some would even say into a person of authority, like a king. And he's saying that through Jesus, we now have access to God. And if, if, you've done, uh, if you're familiar much with the Old Testament, that's a big deal. And to a Jew, this was a, a big deal, that now you have access to God through Christ, not through some other priest, but through Jesus, the great high priest. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help with time of need. Because of Jesus as our high priest who's went before us and made the way to God, who has died for our sin and risen again, we can with boldness and confidence come before God. So we have access to God and we have access to this grace in which we stand. And he says, when you have peace with God, you're gaining this access through Christ and you're and your life is now, your, your position in this realm of grace, right? You stand in the grace of God. And that word stand contain, contains the idea of a continual standing, not being able to be moved. In other words, when you're in Christ, you're a believer, you've been justified by faith, and you're in Christ, and you stand, are standing in God's grace, because that's what the relationship's rooted in, you're in no danger 
of ever losing that position. It's, it's a continual stance. Because God ensures it by His grace. Christians are never in danger of losing their position before God. Now, I do fear, however, that, that many professing Christians are in danger of not holding a position they profess. But because we are securing God's grace, if you're a believer this morning, we can have joy. And we'll see as the text goes on, it goes into this rejoicing theme, this, these next couple of verses, because it's rooted in this idea of this stance we have in God's grace that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ, right? Common, very well-known commentator named F.F. F. Bruce quoted an old preacher as saying this, Peace is joy resting, and joy is peace dancing. And that's a good way of thinking about this text. Peace and joy, they, 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 they go together. Um, you can't really have true joy without peace, and you can't, if you really have true peace, you'll have joy. And that's just a good way of thinking about it. Peace is joy resting, joy is peace dancing. And Romans 5 speaks of rejoicing throughout this passage in three different areas, you might have noticed. Three different times in 11 verses he talks about rejoicing. And the word there, translated rejoicing, literally means to boast or to exult. Some translations even say boast or exult, or maybe another word. And exult means to leap for joy. It's, it's a stronger word. It means to be extremely joyful. So if your translation says exult and you say, well, mine doesn't say rejoicing, no, it picked an even stronger word. Because it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a boastful joy. It's a joy that, that it's an ex, exclamation point with it. It's this, this exultation in these things. And he gives three reasons that if you're connected to Jesus today, connected to God through Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, three reasons that you have to rejoice today as a Christian. And I'll walk through those with you this morning. The first one is your future glory. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, our future glory. And that word, like I said, means to exalt. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean, the, ho the hope of the glory of God? Well, that sounds very spiritual, right? What does that mean? Well, we typically say hope like, I go out today and I get in my car and I hope it cranks, right? And so that's like coin toss. I hope, it, I, hope I get this job applied for. I, I hope I get into this school. I hope I pass the test. And there's like this element of uncertainty to it in the way we use it in our language. But in biblical language, and in, and in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament when they use this word, there's no doubt in it. it it's a, it literally means a confident expectation. So he's saying, we have confident expectation in the glory of God. We rejoice in the confident expectation of the glory of God. There's no doubt there's an expectation there. There's a confidence there, but I'm not wondering about it. And that's the kind of hope we get through Christ this Christmas season. What does he mean we hope in the, have this confident expectation in the glory of God? What does that mean? Well, if you go back just two chapters in Romans, chapter and a half really, to Romans 3.23, a verse that you may be familiar with says, for we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, no one's righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then he gets over here to Romans 5 and he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what's he saying here? Well, we were made in God's image to glorify God. But you were created and I was created to resemble and reflect God in certain ways. And we're made to re reflect him in our lives. And the ideal of that is that we would live holy lives, lives without sin. And we have failed that miserably. All of us have. I, chief, right here, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 is saying. Ever since Adam, ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, we've all went that way. And so we've fallen short of the very purpose for which we were created, which was to give glory to God. 
Romans 1.23, he said, We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've exchanged the glory of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But he's saying through Jesus, we now ultimately attain the glory we were created for. That's what's changed between chapter 3 and chapter 5. 3.23, we've fallen short of the glory of God. You go over to the next verse in verse 24, he starts talking about how God sent Jesus as the payment for our sins. In chapter 4, he talks about how we receive that by faith. And then you get to chapter 5 and he says, now we have this hope of this glory of God, of achieving the purpose for which you were created by your creator. That we will one day be free from the very presence of sin and all of its effects. And this is possible because of our new birth, ultimately rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to how Peter put it in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's saying just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so one day your mortal body will be raised from the dead. Your physical body is going to die, but if you're a believer in Christ, one day that body is going to be reunited with your spirit and glorified to a sinless state. And you won't sin, you won't be tempted to sin, you won't kind of want to sort of wish you could sin, you won't even have sin in your presence. It'll be gone, banished from your presence as you eternally walk with God in absolute holiness and bliss. It's hard for us to imagine a community and a city and a place with no sin and zero effects from it because we swim in an atmosphere that is broken by sin. And we're inundated with sin every day of our lives. And we sin and we're tempted to sin. And so it's hard. You take that out of the equation and you begin to get a picture of what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like one day. With Christ ruling and reigning and sin banished from this place. And you not even, if you're a believer in Christ, not even desiring one iota to even take a step towards sin. Because it's completely gone. And you no longer have a sin nature. That's why Colossians 1.27 called this Christ in you, the hope of glory. The activity of Christ in your life today, the presence of Christ in your life today as a believer is, is your promise that you will see that one day. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And the glory we'll attain is ultimately being made like Jesus. Like Jesus. This is why 1 John says it this way. 1 John, so we've seen Paul, we've seen Peter. Here's what John said about it in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we're supposed to hope for and long for this day where we're made like Christ. And God is currently working in the life of every believer to sanctify, that means to set you apart and to make you more like Jesus, as we move closer and closer to that ultimate day of glory when we're made like him. Not in being God, not in being omnipotent, not in being omnipresent, but in being without sin. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, We all, with unveiled face, holding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there's a process taking place now that when I open my Bible and I begin to read it and I begin to apply it or I sit under the teaching of God's Word and I hear it and I begin to apply it and I begin to behold Jesus through His Word because that's how we behold Him right now. And as, and as I see Christ more clearly and His plan for me more clearly through His Word and I begin to apply His Word, I'm being transformed. 
from one degree of glory to another. I'm being made more like Jesus. And then one day, I'm going to be ultimately transformed, but not until I see him face to face. And that's the, the process for the believer. And so we, we talk about this, how the Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses. We were saved, justification. We talked about that last week. We're being saved, that's sanctification. That's what we're talking about right there. And then, but our hope is that one day we will be saved. That's glorification. So I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. The moment I believe in Jesus, I don't have to ever worry again about suffering for my sin. And if I'm a true believer, I'm being saved from the power of sin daily. I'm experiencing victory. I'm, as, as I grow and mature as a Christian, God is giving me victory in my life. I'm becoming more like Jesus. And one day, I will attain that ultimate hope of being made like Christ, but not in this life. That's, that, that's our hope, the hope of glory. And if you're a believer in Christ, one day you'll have, you'll hold that hope. It'll be made sight. And you say, well, what if I don't care anything about that? What if I don't really care if I'm made without sin? What if I don't really care to have sin just rid out of my life? Well, you've got, if that is, there's nothing inside of you that just kind of goes, yeah, that's what I want. I want to not sin anymore. That's what I want. I don't want to struggle with that thought anymore or struggle with that attitude anymore or struggle in that area anymore. If, if that doesn't even connect with you. Then you've got every reason to have concern about your spiritual condition because we do rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's something we long for. Imagine an Olympian who has no desire to win gold medals. I mean, it'd be great to be a runner or a swimmer, but why would you be an Olympian if you didn't want to win the gold? Our goal as Christians is Christ's likeness. And if there's no desire for the goal, we've got every reason to wonder if we're even running the race. So, our great hope that we'll be made like Christ. And the good news for you, believer, is that you're going to reach the goal. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm going to reach the goal. Sometimes I feel like I ran the wrong way, you know. Sometimes I feel like I've fallen and I can't get up. Right? Remember the commercial from the 80s? But the promise of God for you is even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel like you're a bazillion miles from it, even when you feel like you've regressed, that God's promise for you is that one day you will achieve the goal. It's certainty. It's blood-bought. As sure as Christ is risen from the dead, so shall you. As sure as Christ is sinless, so shall you be. Because your identity is in him. Romans 8, 29, and 30, great passage, says, Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined me for what? To be conformed, to be made like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he what? He also glorified. It's God's un breaking chain of redemption those whom he saves he justified he also glorifies you will achieve the goal for which god has created you and saved you if you're a believer in jesus but you won't get there in this life but in this life we just strive for christ's likeness the second thing he tells us we can rejoice in is that we can rejoice in our present sufferings not just our future glory but our present sufferings and that's a weird one okay that this is the one that that people read and they kind of like, what does this mean, right? Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, he says. It's, yes, Jesus assures us of a future, and so we've got a joy because of what we think about in the future, but we've got his joy, he's saying, even in the present, even when things are uncertain, even when things are painful, we can have a joy right here in the present. And there's this tension here. 
this suffering. One day we're going to have glory. Right now we have suffering. We can rejoice one day and we can rejoice now. We can rejoice looking to our future. And he says we can rejoice in our sufferings. Now, he's speaking most likely here to a particular type of suffering. You know, there is suffering because we live in a fallen world. Just general suffering that everybody on the planet faces. Everybody gets sick. Everybody has bad things happen to them. Everybody, I mean, th- these things are just, we're li- the world's broken. God's sovereign over everything, but there are effects to living in a fallen world. And there's suffering that we cause, right? I can go out and do something stupid and cause suffering for me, for my family, for whoever, right? We can cause suffering. But there's also suffering due to my allegiance to Jesus. The Bible calls that persecution. There's a suffering that just comes because of who I am in Christ and following Christ that Jesus promised that as believers you would say. That's a suffering that, that nobody else faces. I mean, they might be persecuted for their religion, but, uh, but only, uh, only Christians are persecuted for loving Christ, for serving Christ, for obeying Christ, and that is most likely what he's using here. The word he used there for suffering or trouble um, is used throughout the New Testament to speak to that type of suffering. So he's most likely pointing to that particular suffering. And you can experience persecution for a myriad of reasons. We, to be honest, we don't see a lot of it. In, I mean, you, you tremble at even almost even calling it persecution, what we face at times in our country when you compare it to what people face in other parts of the world. On a scale of 1 to 10, they're at a 12 and we're at a 0.5, right? It's just not. But you can experience this in various ways. And in our, in our culture, you're more likely to get some version of it, less because you say you're aligned with Jesus and more because you align with what Jesus and his word teaches. In some places, just by naming the name of Christ, they want to kill you. That's not the case here. But they may want to exclude you. They may want to push you out. They may want to ignore you. They may want to rename you and rebrand you a bigot because you believe and teach what Jesus believed and taught. And that's still a form of this. Other places, the Bible actually tells us to rejoice in our trials. Not just our persecutions. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. You see the similarity between what James wrote and what Paul wrote? Paul says, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that. James says, count it all joy, knowing, for you know that. There, but in both reasons, the reason we can rejoice in trials, the reason you can have joy there, the reason you can rejoice in persecution and in sufferings, the reason we can do that in both cases it's not because what we're going through is fun, but because we know something that's true. It's rooted in what we know. It produces a desirable outcome in the end. We're looking past what we're going through, and we can look to the end and know God's going to produce something that's desirable when it's all said and done. So Paul here is actually referring to the spiritual growth that can take place through suffering. He says suffering produces endurance or steadfastness. Uh, um, you know, you can't have endurance without something to endure. How do you build endurance physically? Sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, and drinking lots of Coca-Cola? You know? Is that how to prepare for the 5K, 10K, or whatever? No, right? You, you have to run to build endurance. If you want to run uh, a marathon, you need to work your way up to running a marathon, not, you know, add pounds, right, while we sit around. And eat. Well, we have to get out, we have to... We have to work to build the endurance. So you have to endure something to build endurance. And he says suffering produces endurance. It's kind of like spiritual exercise, so to speak. It stretches and strengthens your faith. And he says endurance produces character. That word character is a Pauline word. 
It's a word that Paul uses, a word that Paul kind of made, a word that you only see in the New Testament Paul writing with. And it literally means proven character or proof. The idea is that endurance produces this proven character in your life. It proves the validity of who you are. See, some things can only be proven through testing. I got the uh, other day, my, my phone had gotten to where the battery just doesn't work anymore, right? I mean, it would, my phone would last, I could talk on the phone for about five minutes and it was dead. And so I was up for an upgrade, right? The upgrade that you always wait for. And, uh, and so I, I, I waited, and I was up for the upgrade, and then you wait for the, the right phone to come out because you don't want to get, you know, this phone, and then they come out with a new phone, later, you know, and then you're like, well, I spent money on this. You know, anyway, so the iPhone 7 came out. And so I, and I was up for an upgrade, and I needed an upgrade, so I went, and they had this deal going where you get, and so I was all excited, so I get this deal, and then I'm reading about this iPhone 7, and I'm reading that it's splash-resistant. Did you know that? Anybody tried it? Anybody want to go first? I haven't tried it. I believe them. I take their word for it. I'm not going to test it. Right? I, I was looking at cases the other day, and, for, for the, and one of them said it's, it's, it's drop-proof up to eight feet. I thought, you first, right? Let's see. But we, don't, we, don't like, we don't want to test things like that, right? We don't want to, you know. But you won't know unless you try it. Like, I won't really know if that happens unless I splash my phone with water or unless I put that case on there and drop it eight feet. I won't really know if that's just a sales pitch or if it's something that's real. Some things can only be proven through testing because testing shows the reality. If you want to know if something's real, you test it. And when true faith is tested, it endures. Saving faith lasts. It withstands the test every time. And when something is proven, it's more reliable to you and it increases your confidence in it. Be a little more confident the next time you spill water on that phone. He says character produces hope. Proven character produces hope. It's a circle. We started with hope. Now we're back at hope. Seeing what God is doing in your life in the midst of pain and difficulty only strengthens your hope in what he's going to do in the future. When you experience God in difficulty now, it only builds your hope in what God is preparing for you in the future. That's why Paul says... The sufferings of this life is not worth even comparing to the glory that we're going to have. So yeah, as we go and we see God sustaining us and strengthening us and teaching us and leading us through difficult times, it doesn't make us go, wow, I mean, I wonder if, 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 if heaven's going to even be worth it. No, it just makes us go, wow, what's heaven going to be like? Because when, when you see and experience the blessing of God in difficulty, it only better prepares you for your hope that you have laid up, character produce, this proven character, this proof, produces hope. So when a believer comes out on the other end of suffering, still holding on to Jesus, still believing the gospel, still walking in God's truth, and having experienced God's work in preserving and working in their life, their faith is on display and their hope is strengthened. And there's a third thing he tells us we can rejoice in. We rejoice in God through Jesus. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11. See, the believer has a joy that's rooted in God himself. We have a secure future and a hope in the present, but we also have an eternal relationship with God in the here and now and forever. And this is cause for great rejoicing. God himself, our relationship with him. In verses 5, the second half of verse 5 through verse 10, Paul talks about the love of God. We're going to look at that next week. And how the cross of, in the cross of Christ displaying that love. And he talks about being saved from God's wrath. He talks about being reconciled to God through Jesus. And so when you get to verse 10, 
He talks about how we're saved through his life, through his resurrection. And Christ has been raised and we're united with him and our identities with him. If Christ died, we died. Christ rose, we rose. And he gets into that in chapter 6. But Paul in verse 11 stops and he says, Now more than that, we rejoice in God. Not, not only are we rejoice in all, all that to rejoice in, look, not only are we excited about all, we rejoice in God himself. We not only experience salvation and reconciliation and victory, we get the experience of rejoicing in, in God. Not just what God does and what God gives, but who God is. The greatest joy of the believer is knowing and enjoying God. See, when you become a Christian, the most important thing you get is God. You get access to God, as we talked about earlier. You get the Spirit of God in your life, and we'll talk, see that next week. And you get a relationship with God. And the bedrock of your joy, the reason you have a future hope, the reason you can rejoice in suffering, is rooted in a person, an immovable person. It's rooted in God through Jesus. We used to be enemies. Now we have this relationship with God through Christ. So what, think about it. What's it like to rejoice in someone? Not... Or rejoice in a thing. It's like when a baby's born. And the parents and the grandparents just ooh and ah. And they just stare at their little face for an hour. And they're posting pictures everywhere. And they can't stop talking about the little baby. And they're rejoicing in that baby. It's like when the engagement happens. And the pictures are everywhere. And everybody's showing off the ring. And it, it, they're rejoicing in the engagement in each other. Or it's like when somebody works hard for that job. And they finally get that job, right? And they're telling everybody, I got the job. And they're calling all their friends and family that were praying for them and saying, I got the job. Or they passed the test. And they're, and they're rejoicing in that moment. And he says, the believer rejoices, exalts, glories in, boasts in God. We celebrate Him. We glory in Him. He's at the center of our rejoicing. And the very center of this joy in God is Jesus. He says it's through Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Friday night, we went to Epcot to the Christmas processional. You ever been to one of those? I've never been. Christy had grown up going to those when she lived down in South Florida. They would travel up for that. And I'd never been. And so that was one of our Christmas list things that we wanted to do this year. And, um, and so anyway, so we, so we get there. And I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never, I'd never been a part of it. And to be honest with you, I was probably a little cynical. Okay? I'm like, great. You know, celebrity B, celebrity C, celebrity A, whoever's going to read me the Bible. I don't know if they believe the Bible, uh, but they're going to read me the Bible, right? So I was a little cynical about it, I'm just be honest. Maybe they do believe the Bible, I don't know. But I just like handpicked the celebrity to read us the Bible. And I'm just kind of like, what's this going to be about? So we get there, and, you know, I like, the, I like Christmas, right? I like Christmas stuff, so I, I'm enjoying that. But I didn't really know what to think about this whole processional thing. And so... And we had, a, we had a guy from Iron Man read us the Bible, okay? I can't remember his name right now. But uh, he was in Iron Man and some other movies, some Marvel movies or something like that. And so he was there and he was, he, he was reading us the Bible, reading us the Christmas story. And I'm sure that probably, and I don't know if, he, what, if he's a Christian, non-Christian, I have no idea. But I'm sure a lot of times they have non-Christians that do this. And I'm sure there are some people that are singing up in the choir that are made up of high school students from all around who are probably also, some of them are probably not Christians, and I'm sure there are people in the orchestra that are not Christians, and I can pretty much guarantee you that there are lots of people in the however many people that are in that amphitheater that are coming through there three times on the weekend, three times on a Friday night, uh, and I don't know how many times on a Saturday, who are not Christians, right there in the center of Epcot. 
And so as we're there, and we're, we had to wait in line. I mean, line's forever. We get inside, and we finally sit down, and we're towards the back, and you're wedged in there, and you're trying to, you know, there's trees everywhere, right? And so you're trying to, like, miss the tree. And, and then all of a sudden, they, you know, they start, the orchestra starts up. You hear the noise going, and then they, I think the first thing they did was some kind of medley that started with Joy to the World. And it's just music. And then the choir comes out, you know, and they've got the candles. They come out, and they build up, and they've got the little Christmas tree, and it blinks out. And I don't know how many people up there, a couple hundred, I don't know. And they start singing, right? And they're not singing like, I don't know, we wish you a Merry Christmas. They're not singing Santa Claus is coming to town. They're singing Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels, stuff we sang this morning. Like traditional Jesus Christmas stuff. And then they're not just reading some like devotion that somebody written. They're reading like from Luke, right? So I'm sitting there listening to this. And I'm in Epcot, right? And there's people from all over the world there. Millions of people that come through this place. And I, you know, I mean, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this movie star guy read from Luke. And I'm hearing Joy to the World sing and Hark the Herald Angels sing. He's born that man no more may die. And I'm hearing this sing and I'm hearing people listen to it. And I'm singing along, man. I'm loving it, right? And I'm sitting there thinking like, like, you could just reach out and grab him right now, folks. Like, right, you know, I, I'm used to like three songs and I get to preach. So by like seven or eight songs, I'm, I'm ready to preach at this point very badly. <laughs> Didn't ask. I don't think they would have let that happen. But <laughs> Iron Man guy was getting to preach, right? And so, but I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, and people are, you know, and I'm just thinking, you know, how cool is it that Jesus can just bust up into any place in the world anytime he wants to and just kind of own it? Epcot, Friday night, 6 o'clock, a bunch of lost people. Just sitting around, listening, a lot of Christians too. And the, the story of the birth of the Son of God being read and sang about. And I'm thinking, folks, you could just reach out and grab him right now, you know, by faith. You could just, I mean, you could just do it right, right here. He's like, he's here, he's here. And I'm just, I'm just enjoying it, right? I'm seeing it. I'm just basking in it. And here's the deal. See, I love it when Jesus is mentioned after a football game by someone. I, I wasn't a Florida Gator football fan. I loved Tim Tebow because of the way he talked about Jesus after football. I love these guys that do that when they get up. And they, especially if they've got a testimony that they, that they live it, right? I loved it when the Chewbacca lady. Do you remember Chewbacca lady? that blew up all over the internet and she had the Chewbacca mask and she had this great laugh and it went viral and she was on the Today Show and all this kind of stuff. Then they got to digging and they realized that she was a Christian and her whole point was, like, oh, you're so joyful. She's like, oh, it's really all about Jesus. You know, my joy. I just love it when that stuff happens. It's like it's orchestrated in that way. Because when you rejoice in someone, when you glory in them, you love to hear them spoken of and you love to hear them worshipped and adored and to think about him. And to see others make much of him, you exult in that, whether it's at Epcot or on a television station or wherever it may be. Simple. It's not a real deep thing, but it's just it's a profound truth that if you know Jesus, you exult in God through Jesus, or you don't know Jesus. Only the believer exults in God. Unbelievers and believers view God radically different. Before I was a Christian... I rejoiced in a lot of things, but none of them were God. I rejoiced in sports and friendships, the joy of life, whatever, success. I knew of God. I would have even called myself a Christian, but God was not my source of joy. I didn't exalt in him and find my joy rooted in him. And for some, God is someone they're afraid of, 
God is someone they're bored by the thought of, intimidated by, doubt the existence of maybe. Maybe they're even angry with him. But the Christian, God is who they rejoice in. Our Father, who we no longer have to fear his wrath because we get to enjoy his presence forever through Jesus. So, if you're here this morning and you've been born again, like me, you're a Christian, North Park, you get to rejoice in your future glory. You have a secure home in heaven. You'll one day no longer experience sin. So this Christmas season, rejoice that the little baby that was born grew up and purchased your future glory on the cross. You get to rejoice in your present sufferings. When you're experiencing some form of persecution for your faith, you get to count it all joy in difficult trials and realize that God can use even difficult times for your good, that literally nothing in your life will be wasted. Nothing will be wasted in conforming you to the image of God's Son. And you can rejoice in God. Rather than being the grump that gets angry when someone tells you happy holidays at the mall instead of Merry Christmas, be happy thinking about all the people this Christmas season that are going to hear the gospel in weird places just because it's such a popular season. And when you feel like you don't have much to rejoice in because things aren't going your way, pause and rejoice in God and realize that in Christ he is for you, he loves you, and that your relationship with him is eternal. But if you don't know Christ today, if you're not sure if you know Christ today, if you're not sure that you have that relationship with God through Jesus, you need to be reconciled to God today. Like me and like everyone else in this room, you have fallen short of God's glory, God's standard. And Christ has died and rose again so that you can be restored to that right relationship and you can one day experience the glory that we spoke of this morning. And you can have the kind of foundation in your life that allows you to rejoice when other people would not be able to rejoice. And you can have a joy-filled relationship with God through Jesus that others find peculiar because they just don't see it the same way. And that can be yours in Jesus this morning as well. You can just reach out and grab it right here by faith. Let's pray.